Hi, folks. Due to some health issues, I was unable to record our final lesson in the James series in its typical context, and so I'm doing it right now. And I thank you for joining me. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20 will wrap up our series. We've taken 16 weeks for us to survey, not a verse-by-verse study, but basically a survey of the book of James. And I've really enjoyed it. I hope that you have as well. But as we wrap this thing up, we ended on a really important topic, one that I think will benefit, I know it'll benefit all of us if we'll simply put it to use. So let's just jump in there and get after it. As you know, we always try to present five questions at the front end of each study so that uh, those who are part of the School of Biblical Studies can take these five questions and run with them and, and use them also to fill in the blanks, as it were, as, so that they can be ready for the final test. If you're not part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, you can use these to study on your own. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, here we go. Is anyone sick, You excuse me, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Obviously, from this passage, we are seeing prayer as being the primary factor. There are several things about the power of prayer that James alludes to that you and I need to take into account, because As people who are responsible for surviving in these last of the last days and all of the the tribulation and the toils that come upon us, prayer is perhaps the most important solace in the midst of all of our trials. Having the opportunity to actually speak to the Creator, you just can't place a value on that. So as we go back and we see this text, and I, if you're following in your own Bible, you recognize I haven't concluded completely. There is yet a small little snippet that we're going to see at the end. But as we begin to conclude the book of James, and we see him referencing prayer as a major idea, first thing that I'd like to ask us to consider is the question, who should pray? In this passage, which is often emphasizing or used to emphasize the responsibility of elders, and rightly so, I think it's important that we also recognize that the rest of us are equally included in the process. Move back to verse 14 and notice he says, if, if any of you are sick, call the elders of the church. Let them pray over you. Which obviously gives the elders of the church a significant role within our life. As it should, because these men are called to be shepherds. These men are called to be full-time Uh, observers and overseers of our lives and our spiritual condition. They are to protect the flock. On and on you go. It's why I often argue that it should be very difficult for an elder uh, to actually be less than retired from his other carnal physical works. An elder's responsibility is is huge. When you consider what he is, he is to be a supplement to the great shepherd himself, Jesus. 
and it makes it very difficult for a shepherd, I would think. Well, let me let me just put it in this framework. Judean shepherds of the past, how effective would they have been if their full-time work was actually the owner of a shop at the marketplace? How effective could they have been shepherding the flock out on the hillside if their primary work, their full-time work, was something worldly such as owning a shop in the marketplace? I don't know that there's anywhere in Scripture that indicates that a, an elder must be retired, but I think there's a lot in Scripture that indicates that this role is absolutely huge, spiritually speaking, full of great responsibility, one of the few roles in the church that we have such outlined qualifications for, that you would think that taking this role and taking it seriously and being responsible with it, one would really need to consider whether or not they could actually fulfill the role and still have a full-time job doing something else. That's why the illustration of the Judean shepherd, who's also has a market in the marketplace, and it's his full-time job to take care of the marketplace, how could he really be effective as a, as a shepherd? I think thoughts of that nature need to be put forth, and we need to consider that, especially in the modern age when we are dealing with so many problems with regards to end times things. Now, given that comment, go back now and see what he says about the elders. Let them be the ones who come and they pray over you that they take care of you in, as far as your physical health is concerned, seemingly, uh, that they be the individuals who are going to pray over you, anoint you with oil and those kind of things, and you're going to be expecting that God will act upon their prayers. That's because these are unique men. These are individuals who are highly qualified. They're spiritual. They're mature. They have uh, been seasoned in their, as far as veterans of the, of the world is concerned, they've survived, their family has survived, and, and they have been honest throughout, etc. And therefore, their prayers are going to resonate with God. However, as you continue in the context, it seems to be equally clear that he's not just talking about elders, and that elders are not the only ones qualified to call down the blessings of God upon a sick individual. As you continue to read verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And so you see that this is a general statement to the church, and that's further emphasized in verse 17 where James is addressing the concept of prayer. And he says, James, he's a man of our nature, just like us. And so it seems to be saying here in James chapter 5 that when we pray, yes, it is a unique, special situation to call the elders even to your side because your health is bad, you know, whatever it may be. And, and that's something that, that could, could be done within the church, to, to bring the church leaders in here and pray over you, anoint you with oil, etc. But it doesn't seem to be suggesting that they're the only ones capable of being able to reach into heaven and, and if you will, summon the, the blessing of God that all of God's people have an... E That's why in, in a series recently that we completed here at the Restoration School of Biblical Studies on uh, Catholicism, I made a big point out of the elitist view of having a special priesthood. We need to be careful that our elders do not become some kind of an elevated priesthood. And I don't think that's what's being referenced here in James chapter 5. Certainly these are men qualified to lead us because they have proven 
in their past, in, in the, 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 their lifestyle up to this point. They, I almost said in their past life, and they've proven in their lifestyle up to this point that, that they are individuals that have spiritual maturity. But that doesn't make them a different rank than you and I. And I, don't, I believe even here in chapter 5, it would suggest to us that all of us have the ability to reach into heaven and to, to caress the heart of God with the concerns that we have on behalf of each other. So, who should pray? Elders, absolutely. Bring them to your side. And also, other members of the church. Because we, like Elijah, have a similar nature. Elijah was able to summon the blessing of God. Surely we can as well. Number two, I'd like to ask, for what should we pray specifically? I alluded to this a little bit in the first point, <coughs> but it's it's a really interesting passage. I've spoke on this subject before with regards to demon possession. I'm not going to deal with that to any great degree here, but I do think that it's interesting that in this passage what you're finding is a direct connection between the physical health and the spiritual health. Notice again what he's saying here. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, will be forgiven. Verse 15 seems to connect, directly connect, the physical existence with the spiritual existence. That physical sickness is often caused by a spiritual sickness. And I think you could reverse it as well. Spiritual sickness can often come about because of a lack of faith given the physical sickness that we have. But the point that these two are connected, I think, is huge. Because, again, referencing the spiritual warfare and, and demonic possession and that kind of thing, in past when I have spoken on this subject, I have referenced the idea that as we as individuals are trying to help somebody else deal with their own spiritual battles, spiritual warfare, it's very important that we that we be cautioned to get our own house in order. The reason you would call elders to make this prayer is because these are men who have proven to have their own house in order. According to, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, they are specifically commanded to have their not just their physical house in order, but their spiritual house in order. So these are men who are qualified to go into battle spiritually for you. But that doesn't have to be just the elders, as I've already pointed out. I think that it's clear that within this context, he's also referring to generally those in the church. There are some women, frankly, who I'd call to my side to pray over me before I'd call some elders that I know. And so, understanding that, I think that we need to recognize that, secondly, when we're dealing with what we should pray for, know that it's very difficult to divide out the physical ailments from the spiritual ailments. It seems, 15 almost seems to imply that in the process process of praying for a physical difficulty, you're also going to be covering spiritual difficulties. And so, try not to live a life that is so polarized with regards to your physical and your spiritual. Deuteronomy chapter 6 comes to mind when God is instructing home life. And he says, the Jews, ancient Jews refer to it as the Shema. Uh, it's, a, it's a section of scripture where he tells the, the parents that when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the way, all day, 24-7, you need to be in control of your child's life and point it toward God. 
That's why it's so very important for homeschooling to take place and not to send your child off to public school for the majority of their waking hours every school day because you as a parent are commissioned with the job of from sun up to sundown, walking along the path, when you eat, when you when you lie down, all, every moment in between, you are commissioned to take care of your child's training. Well, that being said then, coming back to what we have here, we recognize that it's important for us to be recognizing the physical and the spiritual as, a, as, a, as companions. This is a package deal. I once had a, 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 she actually was a public school teacher and she was trying to defend her willingness to take her own child into that context. And as we were talking about this, she was suggesting, she said, well, look, math and science and reading, all of these things, those aren't spiritual things. You don't have to worry about those things. The, you know, the, 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 the teachers at the public school, they're not going to influence your child spiritually when they're dealing with science and math. What hogwash? What a crazy statement for a Christian parent to make. Everything about math, everything about science, everything about philosophy, everything about religion, everything about reading, writing, and arithmetic, all of these things should point toward God. All of them. And so when Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that parents need to dominate the training of their child 24-7, it certainly gives credibility to the homeschool concept. And back to our point, when you recognize that when you pray about a physical problem, it's probably also going to cover a spiritual problem, you begin to recognize you just can't live in such a polarized fashion. Everything that influenced your child physically is also going to influence them spiritually. Number three, I like to ask the question, how should we pray? It's interesting that James would give this illustration. <coughs> I've preached on Elijah's prayer uh, in the past, and you've studied it out, no doubt, yourself. But if you go back and you read that, it's interesting that Elijah is going to be praying. He prays, of course, and, and, and the, the rain shut off. And then he's going to, now we're going to go to the top of the mountain. He's going to be praying again. He's going to send his little servant and tell the servant to look out and to see if you see anything. Is there any results coming from my continual prayer? And this happens repeatedly until eventually the, the servant comes back and says to Elijah, well, I don't think much is happening, but there is a small little tiny rain cloud out there. And Elijah immediately says, get up, get down out of here. There is a gully washer coming. Now, gully washer is my word. That's not actually in the inspired record, but that's essentially what, what uh, Elijah was saying because he recognized that his prayers had reached heaven and are getting results. But I think the thing that's interesting about Elijah's prayers is that it was repeated. He didn't just say it once. So that's a principle. There was evidence sought as to whether or not we're actually getting the results from God. Is he answering our prayers? So that's obviously okay. And then number three, once he recognized that God was answering, he understood that God, as Jesus spoke of when we ask, God is a God of bounty. And so when you ask for rain, look out, you're likely to get a flood. You know, God's going to open up the, and he's just going to give it to you. Press down, shaken together, shall men pour into your lap, that kind of thing. Remember the words of Jesus? So how should we pray? We need to pray with great faith. And as we pray with great faith, it's okay to check on whether or not, are we getting any results yet? 
And then number three, when you begin to see the the wheels of heaven starting to move, begin to prepare because something big's going to happen. Notice verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, meaning this, this is the same type of thing that you and I can do. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now again, you don't have the whole context, so you need to go back and read that story in the Old Testament. But essentially what James is summarizing here is this. Here's a man just like us who prayed fervently and God stopped up heaven. Then he prayed again and God said, okay, here it comes. And he brought the rain. And you and I can have the same impact on heaven. In fact, think about it. Elijah operated that side of the cross. You and I operate this side of the cross. And so in some ways, our prayers can be even more effective than those of Elijah. And so pray with faith. That's how we should pray. All right, I promised you that we would make sure we got the entire text in. And so here at the top, the top paragraph is kind of the conclusion there, 19 through 20. Um, <coughs> actually, I think I got six, it says 16 on there. I got the wrong reference, forgive me. But I wanted to lead it back into what he's going to say in verse 19. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he makes, in conclusion, an applica- applicatory, is that a word? An application statement. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So recognizing the context that we've just talked about with regards to prayer, having a faithful prayer with like just like Elijah, then he concludes by saying, listen, you got a friend, you got a brother who has wandered from the truth. He says, you need to reach out and bring them back. And it seems by implication that prayer would be a mighty strong part of bringing that person back. I got a brother in my life who in the past has been just like a brother to me. I'm convinced has has ostracized himself from the world. And I, I pray regularly that God will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even a horrible car accident, if that's what's necessary, to get this guy back into the fold of God. Because I love him. I want him to be back. I think verses 19 and 20 are actually, they're actually wrap-up statements from what he's just talked about with regards to prayer. If our prayers are powerful, then we need to exercise them on behalf of those who are not faithful. Pray that God will do whatever to bring them back. One last thing, though, that I think uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention in verses 19 and 20 is I'd like for you to to recognize the impact this passage should have on the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Notice in verse 19, he's clearly referring to brothers. The entire book is talking to to the children of God. And so he's talking to the church. He's talking to the elect, those who have accepted uh, Jesus as their Savior. He says, those of that group, he says, some of them could wander from the truth. So yeah, it's possible that even those who have been saved, the elect, individuals who have declared Jesus as their Savior, it's possible they could be tempted away and drawn back into the world. So what does this passage say about once saved, always saved? It says a lot. It says it is a Calvinistic damnable doctrine that you and I ought not teach. It is possible for you and I to walk away from our salvation. God's not going to force you into heaven. And so we need to recognize that when we get to heaven, we're not going to be robotics. We're not going to have some kind of a computerized 
brain. We're not, we're not going to have a brainwash where God's going to make us do everything he wants. Even in heaven, I am convinced that worship will be worship. And by the way, you can't worship without free will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 specifically says that for you to worship, you've got to be able to present a sacrifice. If you have nothing to give, if there's nothing personal of yourself to put into it, there is no worship involved. A true Calvinist can't worship. And when you come back to 19 and 20 and you recognize that it is possible for a brother to wander from the truth, and by the way, be brought back again, evidently, we understand the power of free will, and we understand that the damnable doctrine of once saved, always saved, cannot stand, does not stand before God, and you and I ought not be teaching it. So by way of wrap-up, again, this section is about prayer, and then in his inclusionary statements, verses 19 and 20, I think he takes that and he applies it to folks who wandered from the truth, you get after it. You start praying for those people. Well, there are the five questions that we attempted to address here my buddy Dennis watching over there in Kenya. Thank you, Dennis, for joining. I love you, brother. Thank you for your good work over there. There are the five questions from chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. This wraps up our series in the book of James. Again, I hope that you've enjoyed it, and I hope that you'll stick with us to do some more studies. Sonny Child saying, be there, Matthew 16, 26.